0: Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's way lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. So hi, Leanne. Thanks for coming down to see us today. Oh, hi, Tara, It's delightful to be here with you today. Cool. Yeah. So I, I say that every time I bring somebody here, and and it, we are literally down. We're in a, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're in a recording studio, which is downstairs. So it we are kind of down in the basement here. Um, yes, but it's close to the heating
1: systems, and so on a cold Wisconsin day like today, being down is actually good.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. perfect. Perfect. So Leanne, um, why don't we start by having you just tell us all about you and how you got into the business?
1: Okay. It's It's one of those long, strange trip kind of stories. I started my career as a biomedical engineer, installing and fixing anesthesia machines. So I spent years and years and years in anesthesia machines making sure that people went to sleep and uh, woke up correctly without feeling any pain. So uh, everything from anesthesia machines to x-rays, I can take apart and put back together, which of course is a perfect way to prepare you for making candy and chocolate. Of course. Perfect. Right. Yeah. Yes.
0: Except that maybe the taking the pain away thing made, you know, chocolate, <laughs> pain, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Here's a, a silly trivia question for you. Um, the one similarity between working in an, in, in an operating room and working in a commercial kitchen, do you know what that is? There's one... Piece of equipment that you have in both
0: a sink, two pieces of
1: equipment, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, a hairnet. Wow! Yes, yes. Yeah, so if okay. I ever decide to do a career change again, I have to find something with a hairnet.
0: Something that involves a hairnet. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: So um, I was in the corporate world for 25 years and uh, became a manager of a training group in um, a Fortune 5 company, uh, probably a Fortune 1 company at some point. And after 25 years of doing that, I wanted to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was tired of uh, taking my direction from um, a very large corporation that I couldn't necessarily steer. I couldn't steer my course in that gigantic ship. And uh, in, uh, on a vacation in Italy, I came up with an idea for a wine accessory. This was after September uh, 11th when travel restrictions went into place and you couldn't put, um, you couldn't take liquids into carry-on bags anymore. So you had to put all of your liquids into checked luggage. And so if you bought a beautiful bottle of wine or olive oil in Italy or France or Spain and you wanted to bring that back to the United States with you, you'd have to put that in your checked luggage. And the likelihood of that bottle breaking was pretty high. So I came up with an idea. I'm a kayaker. Mm-hmm. I came up with an idea of a wine accessory, like a small kayaking dry bag that I could sell for 5 or 10 that you could buy a $30 or $40 bottle of Bordeaux and put it into this little um, very super tough kind of um, kayaking dry bag made out of uh, really thick bubble wrap and then put that in your checked luggage. And so if the bottle broke, the bag would protect your belongings. And I was looking for an angel investor because I realized I couldn't do this on my own Mm -hmm. and ran into a college professor of mine Uh, Dennis Collins, Edgewood. Go, Edgewood. And uh, thank you, Dennis Collins. And we were chatting about our lives and what's going on. And he said, what's going on with you? And I said, I've got this great idea to move from engineering to being an entrepreneur. And I need an angel investor. Do you know any? And he said, why, yes, I'm meeting with one in three days. Would you like to come along? Of course. And he said, I'm meeting with Sam Jacobson. And I asked, who's Sam Jacobson? (laughs) And for people who um, aren't in the Midwest, there's a convenience store chain, PDQ, uh, that was started uh, by Sam Jacobson. He was one of the grandfathers of the uh, convenience store industry. And uh, a really, really interesting guy. Always interested in how people thought and uh, how small businesses grew. And I thought it'd be really fun to meet him. And I went with a bunch of college students and uh, uh, the professor, Dennis Collins, On a Friday afternoon, Sam, I think was about 80 at that time, uh, had retired from PDQ and was just interested in what people were thinking about in business. I never got to um, present my business case. It was just a conversation with Sam that Friday afternoon. Uh, So I thought, well, that was a fun thing to do. Glad I did it. Met a really interesting guy. And The following Monday, I got an email from my professor saying, Sam, I'd like to speak with you and left a telephone number. So I called uh, the telephone number. It was Sam's personal assistant. And she said, oh, yes, we're expecting you. Can you come in tomorrow? <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Perfect. Of course. So I did. And uh, took my, my business plan and samples and he was ready to talk about all this stuff and told him my idea. And he said he didn't like it. And so I okay. I thought, maybe I'll just pack up my stuff and leave now. That's kind of deflating, it huh? It was kind of deflating. And he said that he took some of his advice from uh, Warren Buffett uh, that he didn't invest in things that he didn't like. And Sam wasn't a wine drinker. So he wanted to pass on that idea. And as I was packing up to leave, Sam says, wait, Leanne, I like you. I want to invest in you. And he said that he'd been looking for a couple of decades somebody to start a candy company with him. Uh, His mom used to make him candy when he was a little boy, and he wanted to honor her memory by putting some candy into his convenience store chain um, around this this memory of his mom. He he said, would you like to start a candy company? And I said, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did (laughs) you have any... And had you made candy before that? I had
1: never made candy before in my life. Oh, my. Yeah. No. Yeah. So yeah. after a one-hour conversation, I said yes. I walked into a meeting trying to start a wine accessory business. I walked out of the meeting owning half of a candy company. Uh, what Sam didn't know is that I'm I'm a foodie. You know, I've mm-hmm. always been a foodie. And uh, been cooking since I was a little kid. And, you know, I'm an Italian, so food is love, mm-hmm. right? And uh, – So we started playing around with um, products that focused uh, on Wisconsin products, candies made with Wisconsin products, Wisconsin butter, Wisconsin heavy cream. So we started with toffees and caramels. Mm -hmm. And Christine's toffee uh,
0: was born out of that conversation with Sam Jacobson. Isn't that amazing? You know, I, I tell people that investors, when you're raising money, um, that the crazy thing is people care a lot and they will do a lot of due diligence on the business and they care about the numbers, but at the end of the day, they're they're investing in a person and it, it is the most important thing.
1: I am learning that. That is certainly true. Uh, being a small business owner is a confidence game.
0: Totally. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and even when you really don't believe that you're gonna succeed, mm-hmm. you have to fake it when you're talking to people. Mm-hmm. You know, Even if you're thinking to yourself, nope, never gonna happen, you have to say to the people who are considering investing in you, absolutely, I can make this happen. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a difference between you know, some controlled optimism and being you know, this uh, uh, just hubris, um, mm-hmm. and you have to have uh, a real plan and a real product to kind of back up that, those uh, mm-hmm. claims. Um, but it's it's been a very interesting exercise in in confidence and what you portray to people and how mm. you say it. So yeah.
0: There is this thing, too, that I really do believe in that that the, my whole um, Tara's Way thing really taught me, which is that you kind of – what happens is what you create, right? So if you're out there saying this is going to happen, it actually will happen, you know, in a way, because yes. you are, you have now made that you've declared this publicly, and you're going to make yes. it work because holy shit, I told everybody that I was going to do this. <laughs> I better do it, right? Right. And right. you find a way, and it may not be the same way you thought it would be in the beginning it probably will be different but you end up doing it because you declared it so right. yeah right. it's an interesting psychological thing about creating something new that doesn't exist before
1: absolutely yeah and, and there's been a lot of studies around the the power of positive thinking mm-hmm. and the idea of What you say publicly is, you know, the kind of the energy you put out into the universe, which is a little woo-woo, but you get the idea. Mm -hmm. I forget if it was Socrates or Aristotle who said this. I get the two guys mixed up. Old guy. Old guy, yeah. (laughs) Old, old guy. Old, old guy, yeah. Yeah. What you repeatedly think is what you say. What Mm -hmm. you repeatedly say is what you do. You know, therefore you are what you repeatedly think. Mm. And that's true, Mm -hmm. yeah? I thought to myself over and over again, I was going to make this business succeed because I took that plunge. I left the corporate world, you know, and I, I was like Wiley e. Coyote jumping off of that cliff. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no safety net, so it
0: was, you know, succeed or die. Right, you know? right. Professionally, not personally. But right, <laughs> of course. So you launched into this toffee business, and Christine's toffee came into being. And what what did you do to begin Christine's toffee? How did that start? A lot of cold calls, mm. um, came up with a,
1: a couple of really great recipes based on Wisconsin butter. Uh, here in the dairy state, we've got amazing, amazing butter, amazing mm-hmm. heavy cream. And why not let that shine as a star ingredient? We all know that Belgian chocolate has this kind of world, you know, this this uh, world-famous kind of mystique about how wonderful it is, and we know that French sea salt is fantastic. Why can't Wisconsin butter be at that same level Mm -hmm. uh, in people's perception? Because it is that good. Mm -hmm. And so our first product was uh, a toffee made of Wisconsin butter, French sea salt, Belgian dark chocolate. Mm -hmm. So take three great things. This is a lesson from Italian food. Take three great ingredients and put them together well. Mm
0: -hmm. That's what we did. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So you put three great ingredients together, and you were selling locally, correct? Selling locally um, again,
1: all cold calls to local grocery stores, uh, uh, the local airport, uh, a local distributor that could get me into the Madison and Milwaukee area, and. Uh, I was making at that time a bacon toffee, because we also have some pretty amazing bacon in the state of Wisconsin. And everything is better with bacon in it? Everything is better with bacon in it. Um, And there was a vendor at the Wisconsin State Fair that was selling chocolate-covered bacon, and people talked about that chocolate-covered bacon for a year after the State Fair. And so I thought to myself, if people are gonna talk about that, I'm gonna make a bacon candy, and I'm gonna have people talking about me. So I started selling my bacon candy and one day I got a phone call saying, I'm a producer from uh, a gifting suite, uh, the swag bags at the Emmys, and we understand that you have a bacon candy and we would like to sample it. And I said, who is this really? (laughs) I thought it was just a punk call, right? Right. Um, But I sent my bacon toffee out to them. Uh, They loved it, and they called me back about a week and a half later. They said, "What other products do you have?" And so I sent them the whole suite of what we were making. And they called me back and they said, "We would love to have your products in the 2000 Emmys celebrity gift bags." I said, "Okay, game on." So I spent a week in Hollywood um, hobnobbing with Mad Men, Modern Family. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, For those of a certain age, Penny Marshall. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, James Woods, uh, Cloris Leachman, super fun, and they all get to try. um, Yeah, your bacon
0: man, Um, wow!
1: Um, And that took us national. We Mm -hmm. picked up seven airports. We took uh, picked up um, a very large and prestigious um, high end grocery store chain, Gelson's, in California. And I needed to expand my production facilities. I was Mm -hmm. in a, a little. Um, kind of test kitchen spaces, maybe about 600 square feet, no retail, and I just outgrew it through kind of this and trying to build up this national mm-hmm. brand, this wholesale brand, and needed to uh, find a different space. Mm-hmm. That became Chocolatarian.
0: right? And and that's about the time that I started working with you. What I remember is you. Say, telling the story of the Emmys and being really excited and also being a bit deer in headlights, right? Because <laughs> she's like, oh, my God, this could be really big. And I said, yes, it could be really big. And if it is going to be really big, you're going to have to go raise over a million dollars in equity to grow mm-hmm. this business. Correct. And and at, you, were still, you still had your day job at the time, right? And yes. the other part of this, you had to raise over a million bucks and you no way you could do that and still have a day job. Correct. Right. Yep. So that prospect ironically got you thinking about Chocolatarian.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, so in the
1: course of trying to expand uh, the, the wholesale business, and you're exactly right. You need a lot of money to do that. Uh, it's kind of a pay-to-play thing. You, you need distribution. Um, you, know, you need to, as a company of one or two or three people, you need to have a product that stands up against Hershey's and M&M uh, and Mars and Nestle, you know, in place, you know, companies that have millions in marketing budgets. And, uh, hey, you're an engine. Every
0: month, you know, every, probably every week. Right, right. Yeah. right. Um,
1: so there's, you know, there's that upfront cost. Um, and then I just needed a bigger facility. So in looking around the Madison, Wisconsin area for a bigger facility, ran into this amazing old space, um, that did not have a commercial kitchen in it, uh, decided to roll the dice to put a kitchen in to serve our needs. And then just realized that this space had so much more potential than just being a wholesale commercial kitchen. And we thought we could open a complimentary business, uh, to use the rest of the space, uh, and that became the chocolatarian patisserie concept. And what's interesting now is that the chocolatarian concept has, you know, grown significantly
0: where the um, wholesale candy business um, is withering on the vine a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So talk more about chocolatarian as a concept. So what is, yeah. yeah. As I remember, like a patisserie means something in, in Paris, right? Now we're here in Madison. Right. What does a patisserie mean in Madison?
1: Uh, in Madison, uh, what I like to say it's a it's a third space. It's an oasis. Um, once upon a time, I read a book, uh, "Pour Your Heart Into It," which was uh, Howard Schultz's biography. He started uh, Starbucks, another successful startup company. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he talked a lot about uh, the Starbucks concept being a third space. Uh, and a third space is not uh, a workspace. It's not a home space. But it's a place where people can go to work or people can go to be social. And it's just a a third place for people to to congregate. And what made Starbucks successful is that that third space was kind of glued together with really great coffee and Mm -hmm. coffee drinks. So, taking that third space concept and having that gloomy, um chocolate and wine mm-hmm. I thought
0: was uh, like, "What could be wrong with that what could exactly be wrong
1: with that? Mm-hmm. so let's have people get together for um, social events and share you know some really fine chocolate and a nice glass of wine and just have it be a very relaxed, casual uh, environment. Uh, we call it an oasis an everyday oasis where people can just come in and feel like." Sigh the stress of the world disappears. Mm-hmm. You know? um, our, pa- our color palette is super saturated color, so when you walk in there it just automatically feels calming and it just makes you want to stay. And our, our seating is a little farther apart than in a normal cafe so that people feel like they've got their space mm-hmm. and they're not crowded. And it's just supposed to be uh, an everyday reward for people. Mm-hmm. So um, in its truest sense, I've opened a cafe that specializes in desserts, uh, chocolate, and wine. Um, in uh, the bigger sense, my bigger vision is I'm opening up um, uh, pl- a place where people can feel like they can just go and be and enjoy something to reward themselves. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And when you first opened, did you think you were going to be open in the morning and people like a patisserie in Paris, where people come and read their paper and have a little, you know, espresso and their and their patisserie, it, absolutely. And what's funny is that
1: um, we were open in the morning, and uh, there's a, and nobody came. You, <laughs> c- you could hear the crickets. Right. I, I don't know if you remember there was a Warner Brothers cartoon. It wasn't Mickey. It wasn't uh, Bugs Bunny, but there was the frog. Do you remember the dancing frog? Oh right. right. Yes. And so the guy got the dancing frog, and as soon as people came around, the frog wouldn't sing. Right. 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 So. We opened up the doors to Chocolatarian at 7 o'clock in the morning and the frog wasn't saying, like, mm-hmm. nobody was there. He just, oh, okay, well, maybe this is a nighttime business. So we stayed open until 9 o'clock at night. And that's what people in Wisconsin want. You know, After dinner, they would come to Chocolatarian to hang out, um, have desserts and wine. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the lesson is give the people what they want. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that we're in business for about four years, and people understand what we're doing. Now we're ex- expanding our hours again into that early morning time because people recognize us now as a place where they can get a good cup of coffee or espresso, or they can get some treats to take into work with them.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: But, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but when we started, it, it um, my expectations and the public expectations were too totally different sets of expectations.
0: Isn't that crazy? And you do, you have um, music and things too in the evenings, don't you? Not yes. all the time, yeah. but sometimes, right? Yes, absolutely. Um,
1: another um, uh, Another piece of what makes chocolaterian special to me, or one of the things I wanted to try to accomplish, is I wanted to have a place that could be considered almost like a European salon. So mm-hmm. here's the second kind of piece of um, culture that I'm taking from that European um, way of life. And a salon is a place where you know interesting people go to kind of discuss interesting things. And whether that be art or books or music, I want thinking people to, to have a place where they could feel comfortable to just express themselves. So we've got book clubs and we have um, painting groups that come in. And uh, I love the arts and I love culture, so we bring in musicians and we've had everything from ancient music, we've had um, opera, we've had blues, jazz, we're part of the Make Music Madison Festival. Um, and it's just a, another way for people uh who can uh, who kind of live by creative expression mm-hmm. another place for them to go because as i made this transition from the engineering world to the small business world um the the idea that stuck in my head is that this is all about creative self-expression mm-hmm. um you know, for you personally for me mm-hmm. absolutely yeah it's been it's been a wonderful awakening
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about money. So so when um one of the things that I like about what your the evolution of your business was that you started out with this wholesale idea. Um you realized that it was gonna it was successful, but it's gonna take way more money than you right. ever imagined, right? And so you came up with an al- an alternative that was um would generate cash quickly and mm-hmm. what i what i remember having conversations with you about this and in in the beginning your your inclination was to say no i don't want to own a cafe or you know a coffee mm-hmm. shop that's not what i'm doing i'm doing this bigger thing and and eventually and eventually is you know 3 days right it was fast <laughs> but evan- you you came to a place where you're like no actually this this can a- actualize my vision in a different way absolutely yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I remember, boy, uh, thinking about money when we were starting up uh, is on a different scale than now. Because you know, everything seems so much bigger and, and the unknowns are so much greater. And when you said you're going to need a million dollars to make uh, the candy business work, I swallowed hard because I thought there's just no way I can do that. You know, not, right. how, how do you sell a million dollars worth of candy to make that successful? And now as I'm thinking about a million dollars, it doesn't seem all that it doesn't seem like a all that far of a putt. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but in starting up, um, where do you get cash quickly? How do you generate cash? You, you need to have cash flow to, to pay the bills. Um uh, my investor Sam Jacobson passed away. Um and if we remember what was happening in the United States economy two thousand nine to two thousand eleven, not fun. Not fun. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of investment. You and I kind of lived We through, know this, we yes. Know, yes. Yes. hmm so, how do you generate cash? You find uh, a second revenue stream, mm-hmm. and that's what the the second revenue stream was. You know,
0: okay, uh, this, this chocolatearian,
1: absolutely. And
0: now it became, and now it's now it is the revenue stream. Like it, it's an interesting thing of how this right. has evolved, right? Yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's been a very organic um, evolution, and one I didn't expect. Right, right.
0: Yeah. So, um, I think you were profitable in the first year you opened. Like yeah. it was pretty fast, yeah. right? Yeah. And you've been growing since then. And I tell people that food companies grow in steps, it's not a linear thing, right? So you're about to take another step, correct? <laughs> Indeed I am, mm-hmm. yes. Chocolatarian
1: is looking to, uh, uh, We we are expanding. And that's weird when I say chocolatarian and we are. That's grammatically incorrect, but you get the idea. Uh, so I bought another location in uh, Middleton, Wisconsin. So there was a, uh, a venerable old business there. It's called Scott's Pastry. It had been a neighborhood um, uh, cornerstone for 30 years and uh, the owner wanted to retire. Mm-hmm. And this place was set up Perfectly for me. It was already set up as a bakery, which is so unusual. It was already set up with um, a fair amount of cafe space in the front that the other business hadn't been using uh, to their best advantage, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the most important things for me in deciding to move forward with that specific location is that it had um, open viewing into the kitchen. Um, Chocolate is not local to Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. Uh, it never will be. Mm -hmm. So uh, What we try to do is have our um, uh, food be very transparent. You can see everything we're doing, you can see everything we're making. And so if you think about local ingredients, we of course source dairy locally, um, but you can't source chocolate locally, but you can see everything that we're doing to it so you know that we're not adding stuff out of a can. Mm -hmm. We're making everything there. So having that open kitchen concept in the Middleton location was super important. Um, and that, that's a, it's a risk because I needed to buy the property. Uh, was the property and the business came as a package. Yeah. And so when you talk about things happening in steps, uh, the first chocolatarian, I still rent that location, but mm-hmm. now the second chocolatarian, I own that puppy mm-hmm. dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, and. Um, my guess is that was a pretty big transaction to buy a commercial building like that and the equipment and the business and yeah. Yeah. And it was a a pretty steep learning curve for me because I hadn't done that before. Uh, At the same time, I was buying out a business partner. Right, right. Right. So let's, yeah, let's go back a little bit. So somewhere along the line, you brought in a partner Mm -hmm. and what was your thinking about why did you bring in a partner when you did?
1: Okay. okay, um uh, two reasons. Um, number one, financial. it was part of mm-hmm. that piece of how do you raise capital how mm-hmm. do you how do you keep this idea um, moving forward? So um, you think about planting a seed, you know the first year it uh, sleeps, the second year it creeps, the third year it reaps. It's an old farmer saying mm-hmm. I don't know, it's a Wisconsin thing. Mm-hmm. Same way with small businesses. and um, Christine's toffee that seed had been planted and it was just creeping but needed that capital injection to kind of have it take off. So I brought on a business partner um, who also came from the corporate world, uh, Kimberly Verubly, And uh, she and I uh, worked together uh, in our medical device mm-hmm. companies. And she's a regulatory engineer by training. Um, her brain and my brain are as opposite as brains can possibly get. How we think is so exactly different. Um, I always saw that as our greatest benefit, that Mm -hmm. um, uh, my brain is like always herding cats. and It's Mm -hmm. a million ideas and just kind of going everywhere and, hey, let's do this, hey, let's do that. Um, Kimberly's great gift is that she can take all these crazy ideas and make them repeatable and Mm -hmm. profitable and Mm -hmm. put systems in place. Um, Such an asset. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was together, Kimberly and I were able to take this – startup company and uh, just turn it into a profitable organization so um, the, the downside of um, not a downside but uh, as as we moved into this cafe operation what can really realize is that um, running a wholesale candy business and running a cafe a wine cafe wine a chocolate mm-hmm. cafe uh, two very different things and uh, it, it just didn't fit her
0: skills. Mm-hmm. And, well, and there's so much day-to-day, like hours. You have to be present when you right. run a, a cafe the way you do, right? right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Like a wholesale business, if especially if you don't manufacture yourself, you could be, you know, two people in an office and right. or three people in an office and have a national brand and you're not there. You're probably... Working twenty four seven in a different way, but mm-hmm. you're not physically there and dealing with the public coming in. And exactly, yeah, yep. it's a bit of a different business. Exactly, a lot different business actually. Yes. Yeah.
1: yes. And um, if you, the restaurant business is unlike any other business I've ever seen. And if you don't love it, run, run like your hair's on fire, right? Yes. <laughs> like
0: your hair's on fire because they probably <laughs> will be. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And running a wholesale business is very much suited to um, like the engineering mindset Mm -hmm. because it's about how do you take this thing and have it run exactly the same way day after day? How do you get this to – how do you build a control set and have Mm -hmm. everything fall within those control sets? So that that hit a regulatory engineer's sweet spots. Mm -hmm. But – um, again, in a cafe environment, that it's just, it just just doesn't happen. Um, and unfortunately, for me, kind of being in that cafe environment fits my personality a little bit better, mm-hmm. and so uh, that's how it kind of shook out. So mm-hmm. Kimberly came in. Um, uh, it's. Uh, if it weren't for Kimberly verbally coming in to Christine Toffee, it wouldn't exist today. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, uh, as we're moving into this expansion phase, she realized it wasn't going to be for her for the long term. Mm-hmm. And I bought her out,
0: mm-hmm. um, which is challenging because that means you have to raise more money. Mm-hmm. To buy At the same business. time, you're trying to buy a building and buy a business. and right. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Milestones. These can be big leaps there's a um cliff bar the the founder Mm -hmm. of cliff bar wrote a book called raising the bar where he talks about one of the things he talked about is he had a partner in the beginning of his business who eventually for reasons decided that they decided it was time to part ways and um the the financial challenge of buying a partner out is non-trivial. Um, and in that case, it happened later in mm-hmm. the business. So the value of the business at that point was pretty high. So, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting thing because I think people um, – you know, there so you raise equity and then you have owners and you have business partners and sometimes they're passive and sometimes they're active, right? Um but I tell people they're always partners, right? So mm-hmm. it's a little bit like a marriage. It's not free money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by a long shot. Yeah. But you have to do what you have to do at the time, right? Yeah. 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 And I remember one thing you said, I, I, I'll kind of throw this
1: back to you as a question. Do you remember how you reacted? And I said, well, I'll just go to the bank and have them
0: give me money to buy out my business partner. <laughs> yeah. And I went, uh, not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had exactly the same laugh. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of their least favorite things to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. No collateral there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so the new location is it going to have the same um, kind of vibe as as the one now the original Chocolatarian? A- absolutely, because mm-hmm. um, that's kind of the brand in a in a retail facility, right? It's it it the, sure is. Yeah. 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 So um, culture,
1: corporate mm-hmm. culture.
0: Yeah. Super
1: important. Yeah. Um, so as I'm thinking of brand identity, I'm thinking of color schemes. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the kind of people that we hire for um, uh, for our customer-facing roles, uh, what they want them to be able to say, how I want them to treat our uh, our customers and, and our other employees. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's super important for our customers when they're coming into either location to feel like, ah, mm-hmm. I'm in that oasis. Mm-hmm. So um, it, can I make the product repeatable? Absolutely. Flour, butter, sugar, baked is going to taste the same on the east side of Madison as it is on the west side of Madison. Um, am I going to have that customer experience the same? You know, you That isn't as, um, that's not a one-to-one correlation, you know, so that's going to be the trickier part and perhaps a lot more interesting. And so that's maybe another milestone, you know, how do you take this culture that kind of organically grew in this first location and then... Make it repeatable,
0: mm-hmm. you know, in
1: a second location, third, fourth, fifth, tenth location. How do you do that and keep it kind of feel honest and organic?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And the, the demographics and psychographics of the two communities are really different, right? Yes. Middleton versus the east side of Madison where you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Psychographics. Yeah. I don't know that. Right. Yeah. Like so that. that's all the <laughs> psychological stuff. Um, yeah. So... But for those of you who are listening, who aren't from Madison, the east side of Madison, I, well, how would you describe that neighborhood that you're in? Okay. Uh,
1: the east side of Madison is um, take uh, Portland, Oregon, and Boulder, Colorado, and kind of jam them together, and uh, throw the University of Pennsylvania uh, in the middle of it. And mm-hmm. that's Madison. Um, it's a, a very, the, the, east side of Madison is very well traveled, um, but kind of laid back and ready to let their insides just kind of, whoever they are on the inside is who they want to be on the outside, mm-hmm. you know? So it's got this really kind of laid back kind of counterculture feel to it where, um, anything goes as long as you're not hurting somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in Middleton, it's a very different demographic. Um, uh, uh, I guess a lot more upper middle class, um, you know, super professional, um, you know, manicured lawns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you think about, if I think about a house in Middleton, I'm thinking of a Frank Lloyd Wright style house with a perfectly manicured lawn and a gorgeous tree. And you look at it and you go, wow, that's beautiful. I want to live here. And if you think about the typical Eastside Madison house, you're thinking of a bungalow with um, a tree in the front that has um, old 45 records hanging off of it. And it kind of sparkles in the sun and you're looking over Lake Mononi and you think, wow, that's beautiful. I want to live here. But it's, it's very different. It's in mm-hmm. psychographics that you're talking about. So, uh it'll be interesting to see if that translates. I think it will.
0: Yeah, and and the 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 thing about the east side of Madison is it used to be the um the uh, you know, the the income just there was a big difference between right. the west side of Madison and the east side of Madison. I'm not so sure that's so true anymore, you know, there right. there because there's been so much gentrification if you want to call it that mm-hmm. on the east side of Madison. So right. Um yeah, it's kind of hidden between the the you know, hidden behind the records hanging from the tree. There's somebody who p- may very well make as much money as somebody on the west side of Madison. Absolutely. You know? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It will be it will be interesting. Um you mentioned, you know, store number four five six ten. Is mm-hmm. that in your vision? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um I think that this concept
1: of a um, wine and chocolate third space uh, is something that can be repeatable Um, as long as uh, I can see six or ten shops. In in, uh, is starting in towns that mirror Madison, so uh, populations of about 250,000, 300,000 people, college towns or um, seats of government. Um, The college town is really important. Um, I want people who are, uh, you know, educated people and people with a a high medium income and a lot of disposable income who've traveled around. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just kind of the sweet spot for us. And there's a lot of places like that around around the country where People want to have um, a global experience in their kind of small town. They want to live in a place that's very livable. I know that's kind of a circular sentence, but, um, you know, Madison is a very livable city. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just easy to live in Madison. It's, it's more difficult to live in Philadelphia or yeah. New York City or Los Angeles. It's just a harder, faster pace of life. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these great cities around the country. There are these wonderful little pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, Louisville, Kentucky,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Um, Asheville, North Carolina. Um, those are
0: perfect target markets for chocolatarian. Right. Well, and I think what's interesting about what you're describing is you're sort of doing, as you said, you're doing what what... Starbucks did, but but that's a morning day kind of third space, right? right? And you're kind of more an even day to evening, after dinner third right. space, right? That's right. where Chocolatarian has evolved to. It has, yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are up. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they come to you after they go to a restaurant, right? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. And uh, in the east
1: side of Madison, in our first location, we're lucky because we're uh, in this area that it has just seen this resurgence in the last few years of a number of really great, fun places to eat, and it's become a little destination location. Mm. That you walk around the uh, the Shank Hugel, or excuse me, the Shank um, Atwood neighborhood, and Shank Hugel was the building that I bought. Sorry, mm. <laughs> or excuse me, the space that I'm leasing. Um, and so people walk around and shop the little shops, have a little dinner, and then finish the night at chocolatarian, which is really wonderful. So we see a lot of takeout boxes from other places.
0: Oh, fun! Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's super fun. And I, I come when I have meetings on the east on that side of town. Mm-hmm. I'll come and have clients come there, and I'll meet there because it is, as you said, it's quieter and mm-hmm. there's a bit more space. You mm-hmm. know, that sort of privacy and public thing. You know, right? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and so it's it's it works during the day too is what I'm saying for yeah yeah for, for people. So you're buying this building and you're doing a build out, mm-hmm. um, and you uh, so what kind of money did you have to raise? Like, I'm talking like sources and uses of money now, so. Sure, sure. So the
1: whole deal, when everything was said and done, was approximately $760,000. So
0: just wait right now and Mm -hmm. think about what you would have thought (laughs) or what you did think when we talked about a million, you know, we're only a quarter of a mil short, right? Right, right. Isn't that crazy how your perspective changes? Absolutely, absolutely.
1: And even when I thought about buying the building and expanding, to Chocolatarian, there was some sticker shock. There was a lot of sticker shock around that was because those $10,000, dollars $50,000, $100,000 expenditures, they add up pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of them, mm-hmm. right? And then all of a sudden, you I know, just started totaling things and got to that bottom line on the calculator, and I hit clear, and I did it all over again. Yeah, so said, just
0: to make sure, yeah, is it right? Yeah,
1: clearly I hit times rather than plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I found a, a community banker that uh, is a Heartland Credit Union uh, mm-hmm. here in Wisconsin, that they're uh, – they're really pushing towards, uh, building up a, a local business and supporting local businesses. Mm-hmm. And I found a real advocate in them that they were willing to work with me to be creative and trying to put these, uh, trying to put money into my hands when, uh, you know, money's tight, money's tight. Mm -hmm. And I'm still a relatively young business. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, buying out a business partner, that's uh, one of the pieces. uh, Purchasing the land Mm -hmm. is another piece. Um, Having money to do the build out on uh, the the building because it hadn't been renovated in about 30 years. Mm -hmm. That's a third piece. There's a fourth piece, you know, how do you um staff up how do you train people when you're not bringing in any cash any revenue yet so that's a uh you need to kind of float salaries you need to buy chocolate and heavy cream and sugar and wine and, and all those things and so that's a fifth piece and so all these buckets just kind of came together um, and our loan was kind of a complicated loan it was structured through like three different vehicles basically mm-hmm. to try to pull this together right. to hit that and and even the loan didn't cover the whole piece of it so I I did have to go out and look for mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. equity investor right and uh, back to what we talked about in the beginning of our conversation it's about the relationship, and it's about believing in the person, believing in the idea, Yeah, you know? um, Put together a business plan, put together pro forma, and you can see the numbers on a paper. Mm-hmm. And okay, that's great, but you want to, you have to feel like your investment is, is uh, it's, when you're giving somebody, uh, when you're buying into a business, you want to feel like it's going to succeed, and you have to trust that who's manning that ship is going
0: to do right by that investment. Right and right. there's a, there's a lot of trust there absolutely yeah. and and i think the the people who i've um been involved with who are investors um they 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 tend to be people who had their own businesses themselves that's not always true but in a lot of cases it is and so they kind of get that that you know the buggy is going to go off of the road at some point point. and so <laughs> what they really care about is are you the person who is going to, when that happens, is going to hang in there to pull it back on the road, right? It isn't right. – They, they the more experienced an investor is, the more they know that, right? And right. so the expectation yeah. isn't that everything is going to be perfect all the time. They just are looking for the right person to help get it – do what it takes to get it back on the road when right? right. it does, yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: And I also have to say in my few years of um, – looking for equity investors now uh i love um i I love the kind of people who want to support small businesses Mm -hmm. um the philosophy is that the tide raises all the ships Mm -hmm. and so you get the you get people uh in other in in complementary small businesses who are working with you so that uh, your business succeeds their business succeeds um i have i have people investing with me um that want to know that the food that they're getting locally, uh, or the food that they're getting or whatever they're, they're purchasing locally is they had a hand in kind of making that happen. And they want to know that, um, they're supporting, they're putting their money where their mouth is, that they're supporting, um, you know, a local economy, small business trying to kind of make the economy grow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's been, it's really exciting. It's really energizing to be around people who are Uh, looking to make something grow organically from scratch, Mm -hmm. willing to take that risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, coming from the corporate environment, how many large corporations get ahead is by trying to clobber their opponent to death, you know? Kill or be killed. Uh, In the small business environment, it's been my experience that it hasn't been like that. And maybe it's because what I'm trying to do is so different, you know, um, Mm -hmm. that I don't have any direct competitors right now. So, it seems like I've got a lot of complementary businesses, but no exact direct competitors. So perhaps my perspective will change as I grow, and somebody else says, "Hey, this is a neat idea," and then another you know, third space kind of chocolate shop opens up, and you can rewind and delete that. Don't put that idea in anybody else's head. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> well, the the thing about that though is that um, having the idea is one thing; actually executing is another. You know, lots of people, I think the data about people in entrepreneurship is that, I don't know, something something like 25% of people say they want to have your own business, mm-hmm. and only 5% actually ever try, and, if, and an even smaller portion of that actually succeed. It's actually a very small um, number of people who do it. And, and what that says is that um, actually getting your ideas out um the re- the probability that somebody is gonna actually go all the way down that path and be a competitor is pretty small. Wow. You know and I That's why I love talking to you. <laughs> yeah. See, I always make you feel better, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um and that does does that mean that somebody won't? No. Um so your business is kind of sounding like the vision over time is to be a franchise, or 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 not? Or do you imagine owning all of these in the future? What are you thinking about that? Right now, and you know, subject to change. Mm-hmm. You know, um, right now I'm thinking of
1: uh, I would hold all of them mm-hmm. um, and have. Uh, an umbrella organization that I'm sitting in kind of above Mm -hmm. each individual location um, and have owner-operators, owner-managers at a smaller ownership level in each individual site. Uh, There are some other organizations in the Midwest that have used that model successfully. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. So I I don't want to have to create the wheel. I'm just going to find... Uh, someone who's successful and try to use their uh, techniques. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So right now, I would like to uh, own all of them. Mm-hmm. I have majority ownership in, in every chocolatarian that I open mm-hmm. and then have uh, on-site business partner owners with minority ownership. Um, you know, and a
0: lot of franchises start that way, yeah. right? That's That is how they start. And then um, my my impression is that um, in a lot of cases, um, franchising is actually a real estate business. Mm-hmm. You know, like McDonald's buys the location for mm-hmm. a new McDonald's. Could be ten years before they build a McDonald's. You know, um, so um, uh, Steve Ells from from um, Chipotle. Um, Part of the reason he grew, so he sold to McDonald's along the way, and in part because it takes so much money to keep buying real estate, right? Mm-hmm. And then he was in, in McDonald's, and there was a, there was a time when McDonald's decided that they really needed to focus on McDonald's, and so um, Steve took Chipotle public as a separate entity. But it it's sort of like how figuring out the money to grow mm-hmm. if you're going to own them all mm-hmm. is is a Exercise, yeah, you're, it sure is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good because it it's like lifetime employment for me because I'm here to help <laughs> you raise money, so <laughs> you're going to be doing it a lot. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yep, yeah. Well, and I think there's also an interest the the your second location is an interesting thing because the nature of Bakeries is changing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you and I have talked about this. So, so part of the you know the old style bakery that make donuts and uh, I don't know cookies and donuts and cakes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know what it, it? I my sense is that people people love that stuff, and now people want something different. Yeah. Well, it's it's
1: um, there are certainly fewer freestanding bakeries. Uh, in in small town America, in mm-hmm. in uh, in middle sized cities like Madison, uh, primarily because we've got some uh, some really good competition in places like Whole Foods, mm-hmm. um, or within the the uh, Madison area, we've got a place Metcalf's Market, where there are on site bakeries. You know? so uh, the uh, you've got. Um, you, one-stop shopping in essence. And that's taking away from these standalone bakeries um, where people are are looking to eat a little healthier. They're looking to eat a little bit more local. Um, A standalone bakery has a harder time meeting those needs. And... Uh, it's, we might be at that tipping point where we see, you know, the, a, a large change coming. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's something that I hadn't really looked at in the last year or
0: so. So, you know, we might be at the, at the beginning of a trend here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I we have a bakery in my little town of Stoughton, which is Fosdals, um, <laughs> and it's um, Norwegian bakery, and they they have the same things that a lot of bakeries have, but they also do a lot of Norwegian things, mm-hmm. um, and. That bakery, man, there's still, like, lines. And if to get my rosettes that my daughter will kill me if I don't have rosettes (laughs) for Christmas, you have to order them ahead of time because they are sold out. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, so I think, like anything else, if you have your defensible uniqueness and you're doing something really right, Mm -hmm. you are going to survive just fine as a bakery, right? Right, But but I do think you're right that there is an evolution going on here for um which creates an opportunity for chocolatarian, right yeah, because you yeah. can come into some of these locations with a with a bit of a different business model here yeah. and and contemporize the whole thing yeah so artisan sweet bakery, you
1: know,
0: mm-hmm. um, absolutely. So, um, that has red wine and chocolate and entertainment. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All the things that I like. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. What's all the major food groups are covered, right? Correct. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Have we missed anything? Is there anything else you, you can think of that you want to share with people? Um, I've been uh, in, in
1: the course of doing this build out in Middleton, um what I'm learning the lesson I'm learning is that working with the city of Madison uh very different from working with the city of Middleton. Um and I'm finding that um gosh what uh, what do I want to say here and how do I want to say it? Um I found that the city of Middleton um it's, it's smaller mm-hmm. than Madison. Um but are really business-friendly. And the point I want to try to get across here is that um, the way I talked about Chocolatarian having its own culture, Mm -hmm. um, there's a culture in the city of Middleton that they want to try to cut through some red tape and they want to try to see uh, my business succeed. Um, I've had, uh, like every other business, I'm sure, some uh, stumbling... I've been stumbling and hitting some potholes Mm -hmm. along the way. And... um, I've been finding some real allies um, and some business advocates within the city of Middleton's um, you know, staff, within within the this the, uh, the chamber, within some of the uh, trades that I've been working with, and it's really refreshing to see uh, a, a city that wants to be pro business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there's there's no such thing as a, a perfect environment, right? Um, but. Uh, I'm so far very pleased in how they're willing to work with me to try to get this business open. Um, I've had different challenges, and these were roadblocks that a few years ago I probably wouldn't know how to overcome, and I really feel like the the city is looking at these challenges that I have and saying, gee, we're here to help you because mm-hmm. if you succeed, we succeed. Right. And, again, it goes back to that philosophy of the tide raises all the ships. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I were trying to do – what I'm trying to do in a larger city, if I tried to go to the Chicagoland area, I don't think I would have had the same cooperative uh, cooperation from a larger city. So um, for me, taking this um, gigantic leap into expansion, um, going into, a, into the city of Middleton, uh, was pretty good for me because they've really uh, tried to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And had I tried to go up against a larger city, I think uh, I wouldn't have
0: been as successful. Yeah, um, so. I had the same feel, uh, the same experience when our plant is in Reedsburg, mm-hmm. and Reedsburg was incredibly helpful and supportive when we were citing our plant, and well, when we were there. I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know just and and the test is when the issues come up right because they they invariably do right? right and how how supportive they are to help you work through it um it, yeah it is something to i i talk about when i talk around the state um in local communities about about bus, you know to business leaders and things about about my business and the success in Tara's way i i always point out that how they show up with prospective and existing businesses makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. in the economic viability of that business. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially at a place like where you are, where you're building things out and you're moving things in and, and you're going to be creating jobs for them too. I mean, that's right. Um, How many, how many jobs do you, envision adding i'm expecting to uh, add 23 jobs yeah 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 isn't that great yeah and that's everything from a uh store manager mm-hmm. potential partner in the absolutely. business all the yeah. way down to um people working in this in the kitchen and Kitchens, yeah. baristas dishwashers you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's fantastic it's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you like working with people too. That's part of, part of what you like about being in this business. I
1: really do. Yeah, I really do. Um, it's uh, since I have some background and training, I think that um, I have a leg up over maybe some other um, entrepreneurs that have a great idea about how they want to, uh, what product they want to make, but they don't know how to tell other people that they hire to make that product. So having a background in training has certainly helped me because I can train people to do the things I want them to do. Um but I love working with people and this might sound kind of contrary to uh some of the uh, some some other things you'll hear out in the world but I love working with millennials. Millennials are fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're so idealistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So uh, the challenge is how do you motivate people? That's always a challenge. It's not about right, money. Right. It's not about money. Um, and give people, uh, you know, give them some buy-in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, give them a chance to kind of you know, um, you know, just chart the course of that ship, you know, is a, the analogy. That and the ability really.
0: they can contribute, to.
1: Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely and um it's it, it keeps me uh feeling sort of young i'm uh, in 3 weeks i'm going to hit 50 mm-hmm. and uh and it's fun to be working with people who um never heard of charlie's angels you know right <laughs> sadly the big hair
0: thing is gone right oh i don't know about sadly <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah that's true <laughs> uh huh yeah. yeah yeah well it's been a terrific um It's been terrific for me to watch you grow in this business and and watch this whole evolution of the business from, from where it was when I met you to where you are now. It's a remarkable journey. And it's going to be super fun to see what happens next. Ah,
1: Thank you. And and I would say that you have been along on every step of this with me. And Mm -hmm. honestly, Chocolatarian would not exist had I not had your guidance Mm -hmm. in this. Um, You've been absolutely invaluable. And uh, thank you so much
0: for this opportunity. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.